0: Uh, didn't Gunner do a great job last week? I was able to listen to that. Super. <clears throat> and I heard, Gunner, when it started raining, I heard what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was praying for it to rain, and you took all the credit, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> but it was, that was really great. And, of course, the team always does a great job. Let me, let me just mention... Uh, that revival next week is at Calvary Baptist Church in Seymour. Calvary Baptist Church in Seymour is a very small church. Probably on a Sunday morning, they run about 15. And their pastor tells them, their pastor Russell, he's the pastor there, and he's the pastor at Red Springs. But he tells Calvary Baptist Church in Seymour, he says, We're small, but we're not dead. And so he said, what can we do to bless our community and share the gospel? And they've started a closed closet over at their church. And they do a tremendous ministry with the few people they have. So they're small, but they're not dead. And I know it would be a great encouragement to them if on some of those nights, if you'd come over, and a great encouragement to our praise team, if you could come over and help. We did this a few years ago in Throckmorton, and it was one of our favorite things we've ever done. I think everybody would say that as we went over there and, And just kind of supplemented their group, and we had a a good crowd, and we sang all the songs, and and they just came alive. They loved it. So if you can come over there to Calvary, I know that'll be a blessing to them and to our praise team. And I'm going to preach, I'm going to call the sermon series, the four sermons in Isaiah, I'm going to call it Salvation Song, uh, because Isaiah really is a song about Christ, And even though Christ comes along 600 years later, when we read Isaiah, we just see Jesus on nearly every single page. So it's going to be a great sermon series. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, which we just read, Gunner's passage, and then we read the passage for today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23 will be our text today. Well, if you've uh, driven by our house and you've seen Sawyer's truck parked in Miss Lundy's driveway, and she lets us park our cars there because we don't have enough room in the driveway. But we found Sawyer a truck a few months ago, and I knew immediately whenever we went and looked at this truck, and I should say Sawyer really bought the truck. He, he worked hard and, and earned the money, and we went to look at the truck, and the, I opened it up. The first time I opened the door, I knew I want to buy this truck because it smelled like hot vinyl seats. Um, and it smelled like my grandpa's trucks. You know how they had that old smell, that you, just that distinct... If y'all want to go out there and get a little bit of sentimentality and nostalgia, Sawyer will let you smell his truck for $5, uh, if you, if you, if you want to do that. But it, it just has that, that, that aroma uh, of the vinyl. And you remember those old trucks from the 70s and the 80s, uh, and even further back, that just had one bench seat. Do you all remember those? Just one bench all the way across. Well, there's a funny story about a man and his wife, and they were out for a Sunday drive in one of those old trucks. And the husband was driving, and the wife was sitting over on her side by the window. And here, here as they're on their slow Sunday drive, they see another couple in a truck on their slow Sunday drive, and they're, they pass each other. And so the wife looks over at the husband, and she says, Did you see that? And he says, yep. She said, did you see those two young people sitting in that car? Yep. And did you see how she was sitting right up next to him and he had his arm around her? Yep. She said, do you remember when we were dating, honey? He said, yep. (laughs) Do you remember how we used to sit close by each other in your dad's truck? Yep. And you used to put your arm around me and drive with one hand? Yep. Well, I want to know why we don't sit like that anymore. And he looked over at it and he said, I ain't the one that moved. (laughs) Here's the big truth of our sermon today. We moved. We moved. God has not moved away from us we've moved away from him. Isaiah chapter 56 verse 3 says, we all, we all, that includes me, that includes you, we all like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. We moved. In our text this morning, Paul tells these believers in this little town of Colossae that before they repented and believed in Jesus and put their trust in Him, that they were alienated. They moved. They were hostile towards God. They moved. They were doing evil deeds. They moved. And we can certainly identify with those people in Colossae and we could say of ourselves, we have moved. And it's like a chess game. One player moves and then the other player responds to the move. Well, what was God's move when we moved? When we all like sheep went astray, what was God's move? Think back to Genesis. God's first move was to pronounce judgment. What is the penalty for sin? The death penalty. Eternal death penalty. What were the consequences of sin? Well, we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 21, for the creation was subjected to futility. When man sinned, God subjected uh, the the creation to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God did it. God said, you're going to have thorns. You're going to have thistles. You're going to have pain in childbirth. You're going to have disease. You're going to have death. Futility. But that wasn't the end of the story. In that verse, there's another wonderful word. And that word is hope. Hope in the Bible is like the rock. Remember, Jesus told the story of the people who were building their house on the sand or on the rock. And hope is like the rock where the wise man builds his house. It's a confident expectation that you live knowing this is going to hold because I've built on the rock. And we saw a lot of rocks this week, big boulders and mountains and things like that in Alaska. We were flying in an airplane and you could just look over here and see a mountain and hope that the pilot sees it. And those mountains were big rocks and they weren't going to move. They weren't going to move. And I could have hope that that mountain I saw today is going to be there in 1000 years and in 2000 years and in 10,000 years. It's going to hold. And that's the kind of hope we have in Jesus. That's what hope means. It's the hope that you build an expectation on that will not fail. So listen to this verse again. The creation was subjected to futility in hope. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It was subjected to futility, but there was hope that one day creation would be set free. So God's initial move was to issue the death penalty for sinful man. To subject creation to futility. But he had another move coming. One day there will be another move and creation will be set free from bondage and corruption. But how can freedom be obtained? The death penalty is permanent. You ever thought about that? If the death penalty is issued and the death penalty is carried out, you can't do a take back. So how can this freedom be obtained? If there's a permanent separation, if man has moved and he can't get back to God, that's what it means. We moved and it's impossible for us to get back to God because he's holy and righteous and he can't have unholiness and unrighteousness in his presence. I'm a man, I've moved, I've sinned, and I have no power to change that. So what is the move that will change it all? I want you all to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine Christmas Eve. And you know what? It's not going to be 110 degrees outside. It's probably going to be 98. (laughs) Uh, But we're hoping it's going to be cool that night, Right? It's going to be a Sunday night, so we're going to come to church on Christmas Eve, Sunday morning, and then we're going to gather back together that evening at, at five o'clock. Is that right, Jan? It's always at five o'clock. Yes, Jan's the boss. Uh, <laughs> we're going to gather back at five o'clock, and we're going to, like we've done for the last couple of years, we're not going to do those flashlight candles, you know. We're going to get the real candles out. and you're going to be very careful with them not to drip wax. And we're going to hold those candles, and we're going to sing. And we're going to sing, peace on earth and mercy, mild, that means kind, so peace on earth and kind mercy, God and sinners, what? Reconciled. Reconciled. What a great word. We can picture the wife, and she's scooting over towards her husband on the Sunday drive, and he puts his arm around her like the old days. And they've been reconciled. We see the prodigal son. And he's, he's walking back home, walking back toward the father's house, and he's got this speech. You know, in his mind, he's been working on this speech. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just let me be one of the servants. And he doesn't even have time to get his speech out because dad's running at him to embrace him. And they are reconciled. Peace on earth and mercy kind. Kind. God and sinners reconciled. How did God do this? When God saw sinful man, He thought two things. We learn in the Bible. When God saw sinful man, His holiness demanded that we be punished for our sins. But when God saw sinful man, He had pity. And His heart of love said, Forgive them. And so, God's move. The solution to the problem that we moved began with God, we could maybe say, the most amazing move of all. He stepped out of heaven and He stepped into our world. Look what it says in verse 19. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Him, that means Jesus, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, Paul's kind of saying something that's a little bit uh, subliminal here, but the Greeks considered, when they used that word fullness, that meant to them, you have all these gods that they worshipped. And if you added all the gods together, they called that the fullness. And Paul says, no, that's not the fullness. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness is Jesus is what he's saying there. When we look at Jesus, what this verse tells us is that when we look at Jesus, we can see a clear picture of who God is. God always has been invisible, right? No one can see God. But when he stepped into our world, when he stepped into our flesh, then we were able to see what God is like. And this verse tells us that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. We get a picture of God's heart. We get a picture of who God is when we see the Son. Jesus said, We see the Father. And verse 20 says, It pleased God for all. 19 says, It pleased God for the fullness to dwell. And then verse 20 says, It pleased God to reconcile all things to Himself. So two aspects of this reconciliation. I like to call the first aspect cosmic. Because I like that word. Cosmic. It's big. It it includes everything. Look at this cosmic reconciliation. Verse 20. And through Him, Jesus, God, through Jesus, is reconciling to Himself all things. Now look at how it describes all things. Whether on earth... Or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Remember, we're enemies of God, and He makes peace by the blood of the cross. And He's reconciling all things, whether they're in earth or in heaven. Now, this doesn't mean that all people are just automatically saved. But it does mean that Jesus going to the cross was necessary in order to eradicate every trace of sin and rebellion. Something about how the cross works allows Jesus to put every single enemy under his feet and to rule in peace forever and ever and ever and ever. We can call that the cosmic idea of reconciliation here. And then there's a personal aspect of reconciliation. Look at verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh. Now that was also important for Paul to say, because the Greeks thought that the flesh, the physical, was bad. And they thought the purpose of religion or the purpose of spirituality was try to, to try to escape the flesh. But he says that Jesus, in his body of flesh, reconciled us by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. What a beautiful verse. You should underline that verse, and then you can highlight that verse, and then you can dog-ear the page. So if somebody asks you to explain what the gospel's about, you can say, I got the gospel in one verse here, or two verses. I've got the gospel in 21 and 22 here of Colossians chapter 1. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. We can go back to that prodigal son story. S. Lewis Johnson says it this way, He says, remember the prodigal son? Are we all on the same page there? We remember the story we're talking about. He says, When the son uh, saw the father, when the prodigal son he was coming back after living why after telling the father, I wish you were dead, and taking his inheritance and going to the far country and squandering his money and starving to death, he comes back, and when he sees the father, Johnson says, He was already forgiven. He just had to receive it. We often think of God as a God who requires that we do certain things before He will love us. I can tell you today, sinner, God loves you. That's foolish, Johnson says. The Bible does not present to us a God before whom we must do certain things in order for Him to love us. The Bible presents a God to us who has loved us before and who has given us the Son as a redeeming sacrifice in order to save His people. And one day you will stand before God, and you'll either be in the first condition described, alienated, hostile, evil, or you'll be holy, blameless, and above reproach. And the difference between those, you'll stand before God, you'll either be here with the goats, or here with the sheep, and they're going to be separated out. Alienated, hostile, evil, or holy and blameless and above reproach. The difference between those is not based on what you deserve. The difference is based on who you trust. Notice verse 23 speaks of this trust. If indeed you'll be holy, blameless, and above reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith. And and look how it describes the faith: stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is Paul's message. We could take verses 19 all the way down and say this really comes to the heart of Paul's message and what he was proclaiming. But what does this mean, verse 23? What it means is that the type of faith That saves is a faith that abides. God does not give you the gift of faith by grace. He does not give you that gift, and it's not powerful enough to save you. Okay, if you are saved, and you're a new creation in Christ, then there's no take-backs on that either. Okay? Saving faith is a faith that abides. The way you know you're saved is that you believe and you don't stop believing. You endure to the end. Now, there's people that think they believe. Y'all remember Matthew chapter 7? There's people that show up at the judgment. And they're like, Jesus, we did all these things for you. And what does he tell them? I don't even know you. And these people on, on the surface looked like they knew Jesus. They were doing things in his name. So certainly we can understand that there's people who might have said, Oh, yeah, I, tried, I tried religion. I said the prayer. I did this. I did this. I walked the aisle. I said the prayer. I got religion. And they didn't get nothing. All they had was just a psychological experience because they felt bad about their sin because they got caught or they felt guilty about it because we shouldn't sin. Sin hurts people. But that's not how salvation is described in the Bible. God always finishes what He starts. And I am sure of this, the apostle says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus is called the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. Baptists used to be known for a saying that thankfully we don't really say anymore. They used to say, once saved, always saved. And that bred this idea that you could just say a sinner's prayer, and if those words left your mouth, it was like an incantation. You know, if you were sincere about it, then people thought, well, that obligates God to save you no matter how you live. Well, that's a real misunderstanding of the gospel and its power. Because when someone truly believes the gospel, they're described as a new creation with a new nature. If any man is a new creation... When you get saved, you're something different. You don't change back to what you are. Does a bullfrog go back to being a tadpole? Does a butterfly turn back into a caterpillar? No. Neither does a saved person become a lost person. And if that was possible, what we learn in Hebrews is that there's no going back. If you're saved and then you're lost, there's no way you can be brought back to repentance is what Paul says. Now, he's giving a hypothetical there. He's saying that's actually, he says, but I have better things in mind for you, things of salvation. He's not talking about uh, them actually being lost. He's just saying it's impossible. You can't be saved and lost and saved again. You're saved, and then you're saved, and you're saved, and you're saved forever. A saved person stays saved because that's what saved people do. That's what the Bible teaches. So when we think people can just take or leave the gospel, pick it up, and put it down, what does that say about our view of salvation? It says first that it's centered on man and not God. And that it doesn't have much power. How powerful is a God that can't save you all the way? Not very powerful at all. So sinner, if you believe, that you're, and, and if you believe today, sinner, and you're born again today, if you are a new creature in Christ, you will change. And here's the hope that you have. God won't lose you. And you can trust that he won't let you go. And you might, you still might even go off into the far country in some some ways. You might still struggle with a certain sin. But if you are truly saved, that faith will endure to the end. And you will stay saved. But you must come. You must believe. You must surrender. There's no salvation without faith or repentance. But here's the good news. is that God is where he's always been arms open, ready to receive you. He's never moved. We moved. He's never changed. He loves you more than you love your sin. And He's in the reconciliation business. He's in the lost sheep finding business. And it pleased Him to send His Son to show us His heart. And it pleased Him to reconcile everything in heaven and on earth so He could reign in peace forever and ever and ever. It pleases him to consider us righteous in the death of Jesus. And it will please him this morning if you will bow your head and you will just ask him simply to save your soul, to forgive your sins, and to use you for his purposes and for his glory for the rest of your life. Come to Jesus today. You moved. God moved. Now it's your turn. Move toward him. Don't wait. Let's pray. We read in these verses the story of our life, that we were alienated and hostile and doing evil deeds, but Christ has come and made a way for us to be forgiven, came to save his people, and only he can do it. Father, there's no way we can get back to you in our own righteousness and our own goodness. But Father, we're thankful that the answer is as simple today as just trusting in Jesus and trusting in Him for salvation. And so we, we thank, we're thankful that because we're unable to do anything, we're unable to pay the price. We're thankful, Father, that the price has been paid on our behalf. We're thankful this morning that Jesus paid it all. He did all the work. And all we have to do is but trust Him. And when we trust Him, Father, we're thankful that we receive a new nature that Your Spirit comes to dwell within us, and it's powerful, and it transforms us, and it renews our minds, and it makes us different. And so, Father, we're thankful that as we endure in this faith, we grow in that assurance of salvation. As we encourage one another, as we see each other persevering in the faith, we can say to each other, I know God has done a work in you. Keep on moving Toward him. Keep on pursuing him. Our Savior, the one who paid it all. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.